very much. Appreciate that warm welcome. It really is wonderful to be able to come back and worship with you in spirit and in truth with that wonderful singing to start us out. You guys are blessed here with a wonderful worship team, so I just want to thank you to the worship team for that. The text we have this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and I'm going to be focusing in primarily on verses 18 to 20. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I will be reading from New American Standard Version. After I read this, I'll pray. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father God, what a privilege it is to have this text, have these precious words of Jesus Christ living and active with us this morning. You did not want us to be doubtful. You wanted us to be confident, courageous. And personally, I can think of no better text to help us have clarity in the mission of the local church than right here with the Great Commission. I pray, God, that you will use this time to encourage our hearts, to spur us on, to love and good deeds, to give us a heart for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and to seeing him work powerfully here and along the coast. May you use this time, God, to galvanize us for your mission of glorifying you, seeing people brought to repentance and committing their lives to follow you. We long, God, for the return of Jesus Christ to come and to take us to be with him. Until then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have excitement and encouragement that only you can give through the Spirit, encouraging our hearts through your word. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage condenses God's plan for the local church into one concise command. It is make disciples. It is not simply to go and to teach and to baptize, but it is to make disciples who will go and who will baptize and who will teach all that Christ has commanded. The reason I've titled this sermon, The All-Encompassing Command of Christ, is because of the emphasis given to the alls in this passage. 
You can count along with me and see there are four different times that all is mentioned here. All authority is given to Christ. They are to go to all the nations. They are to teach all that Christ commanded. And then I love the end. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to emphasize those, but I think you can see how this was supposed to be an epic command that sent the church out in its mission to bring glory to Christ, all-encompassing. And this command is not just for pastors, elders, full-time missionaries. This is for the local church, for every disciple of Christ. You are to look at this passage as your marching orders. I was really happy to see on the website for Berean Bible Church that you recognize this already. You have it written there that the Great Commission is the functional mission of the church. And I heartily say amen, amen to that. When Christ spoke to the disciples in John 20, verse 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He said that to his disciples. And it's amazing to consider that this commission has been passed on generation after generation, year by year, until here we are, 2022, and it is still as compelling as it was when Christ gave it to the original disciples more than 2,000 years ago. Every generation has had this test, has had this difficulty. Are we going to be faithful to make disciples? Are we going to be doubtful? Or are we going to be confident and grasp the vision that Christ gave here? And have the strength not to rely on our own power, but to rely on Christ's power and the spirit and the word of God. And I want that to be funneled and applied into this sweet church family this morning. To really ask yourself that question. How are we being faithful to this command? And to look to your leaders to guide you in making disciples here in your context. This morning, I want to show you three principles from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, that will help you pursue the Great Commission. Three principles to pursue the Great Commission. The first is to submit to Christ's authority. The second is to seek to make disciples of Christ. And the third is to rest secure in Christ's presence. I'll mention those again as we go through the passage here. We need to start by making sure we have submitted ourselves to Christ's authority. It's no mistake that Christ began this command by reminding the disciples of his authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. 
the authority, the term there is exousia. Exousia in the original Greek. And it means having the right or command over others. Absolute power. As you read through the Old Testament, you get a sense of the importance of authority and power. There's many passages I could refer to, but Isaiah 9, 6, the prophecy of Christ gives you the titles that are in mind here with Christ. And the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, King. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. It's that sense of him being given authority. We know with Christ, his ultimate authority and being placed upon the throne on the earth is not into the future. But in a dramatic way, Christ was calling upon that authority when he came to speak to the disciples and tell them how he wanted them to obey him and under whose authority he wanted them to go forth. This is a fascinating study if you look at the near context in the book of Matthew. Matthew understood the importance of authority. And if you start in Matthew 7.29 and go through to around Matthew 9.9, you can see that the author, Matthew, lays up a pathway that shows how Christ's authority became successfully more involved and more impressive, more powerful as his ministry progressed. In Matthew 7.29, Matthew records how the crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching. I'm sure you remember how they responded when he spoke because he spoke as one with authority, not as the teachers and the scribes. Then he begins, if you look through that section in Matthew, you can see that his authority extends over leprosy, over paralysis, over evil spirits. It takes up a notch when he actually shows his power over nature. He calms the waters in the sea. It's fascinating that it doesn't end there. He casts out an army of demons who were sent into pigs nearby. And I, I think it's, it's just fascinating to me that in Matthew 9, his authority reaches in that context, its climax, when he proves that he has the authority to even forgive sin. You remember that story? He says, your sins are forgiven, and the uh, scribes and those present are aghast. Who is he to claim that kind of authority? And Jesus says, what's easier to say, pick up your mat and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? And then to show that he's already forgiven his sin, he tells the man, pick up your mat and go. I mean, what kind of authority are we talking about here? It's hard to even come up with an illustration or a synonym to express this. This is ultimate authority. And when Christ is there, 
on the mount in Matthew chapter 28, he is reminding the disciples, some who were doubtful, of his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. We don't see exactly how the doubtful disciples responded to this passage because Matthew ends with such a dramatic exclamation point and just closes the book after this command. What an awesome way to end your account of the Gospels. But if you read through the book of Acts, you can tell they were doubtful no more. The doubt had been washed away. And that needs to be true for us today. There are many Christians in California who have doubt. And I know there are struggles. People have multi-varied struggles that everyone has. They can all be washed away if you recognize the authority of Christ has been given to the local church to make disciples. Amen? Have no doubt. Brothers and sisters here, Berean Bible Church, I know you are confident, I know you are courageous, but you will be tempted to be weakened and to have doubt. Come back to God's word and let it flood away from you. Let the doubt just wash off. You have the summons that has been given by Christ who has all authority. Now, it's fascinating here. You can't make disciples unless you have submitted to this authority. It would be foolish, would it not, to try to make a disciple without first submitting your life to Christ? You might think it sounds foolish, but you probably are not surprised by how many people try to do this. How many people try to make disciples of others by going through the motions and by hoping that they are truly saved. From my experience, it's very common. People want to make it easy to come to Christ. And in a sense, I understand you want everyone to be saved. But the reality is you must submit your life to the authority of Christ before you can even hope to make a disciple of someone else. And you have to start there. You have to ask yourself, have you submitted your life to Christ's authority? Are you ready to let him be the Lord of your life? Are you ready to say, I have been living for myself? It shouldn't be hard to give up if you recognize the authority of Christ. If you have the right image of his power in mind, you should be ready to hand your scepter over to him and say, you win, Lord. I tried. It didn't work. I'm ready to submit to you. And if you do, I'm telling you, it will be much better than any plans or ideas you had living as the Lord of your own life. Submit your life to him and then you will be able to make disciples. And the way 
that you can submit your life to Him is by recognizing your own sin, repenting of it, trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe that heartily. And we would love for today to be the day of your salvation and for you to submit your life to Him. And then, only then, can you hope to make a disciple of Christ. The first principle to pursue the Great Commission is to submit to Christ's authority. The second principle to pursue the Great Commission is to seek to make disciples of Christ. In order to make disciples, we have to know what it means to be a disciple. Let's start by looking at how Jesus described what it means to be a disciple. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 are the right place to turn when seeking to understand the cost of becoming a disciple of Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Being a disciple of Christ means having a radical commitment to follow Christ. Means being ready to lay down your nets and follow Christ and become a fisher of men. It means having a radical commitment to obey his commands. John MacArthur has described making disciples like this. It is teaching someone to interpret life with the mind of Christ. That's very helpful. It's not just about actions. It's not just about worldview. It, it is thinking and acting with the mind of Christ. What a lofty goal that is. Matthew 28 Verses 18 to 20 contains one of the clearest explanations of what it means to be a disciple because it specifies the activities of a disciple. Let's take some time to break down the key terms that are included in this passage. In our English versions of the Bible, it looks like there are two commands in Matthew 18. Often, Go is emphasized. And I've heard, unfortunately, many sermons that make it seem like going is the primary command. This is common on the mission field. But it's helpful to realize there is only one technical command in the passage, and it is to make disciples and go and baptize and teach these are participles that have a sense of a command, but they support that main command, which is to make disciples. Let me show you how 
there are other examples in Scripture where go is used with the main command. And I think this is just fascinating to see that going does not accomplish much if you don't know what you're going to do when you get there. Matthew 9.13, Jesus used the same phraseology in, from Matthew 28, and he said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Matthew 11.14, some of John's disciples come to Jesus asking if he was the promised one, and Jesus replied and said, Go and tell John what you see and hear. And then Matthew 17.27, I think, is helpful. It says, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. If they had just gone to the sea, how effective would they have been in accomplishing the purpose of the command? No, they needed to go and do something. And that is certainly true with the Great Commission. Go make disciples. All of the instances of go support the main command. The text that Jesus wanted the disciples to uh, focus on is, is seen with the references to all. So we've already had all authority. Now we are seeing that we are to make disciples among all the nations. This would have been a paradigm shift for the disciples who were there at the time. In that context, they had a very Judeo-centric view of the world. And Christ reminded them of his desire for the nations. He told them, you are to go to all the nations. Isn't it amazing to consider that we are part of the nations that Jesus was referring to? This always strikes me. How far are we from the mountain where Jesus gave the Great Commission? I mean, we certainly are in the nations today. I mean, it's, it's remarkable to consider how far the gospel has come. And here we are this morning preaching the same message that Christ gave there in Israel. We are in one of the nations of the world and we are seeking to do our part to glorify Him. But... It's fascinating, this idea of serving the nations is something that is to be thought of wherever you are, wherever the disciple of Christ is in the world. We know this because it is a very powerful theme that extends throughout Scripture. The first time the word nations appears in the Bible is in Genesis 10.15, when the author described the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth spreading over the world after the flood. God was concerned with his glory being shown around the earth and going to all the nations. Isaiah 49.6 puts this perfectly when it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's why God is so concerned with the nations. He wants his glory to be everywhere. And it's wonderful that the book of Revelation reminds us of this as well. Revelation 21 describes the eternal state and says, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So this is 
a theme that the disciple of Christ is interested in, is fascinated by, because God wants his glory to be shown among the nations. The idea of going to the nations tells us where to seek to accomplish the Great Commission. And the descriptions of baptizing and teaching tell us what kind of disciples Jesus wants us to make. Jesus expects his disciples to be baptized disciples. He expects his disciples to be taught to observe all that Christ has commanded them. It's important for the disciple to believe in the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission contains the most concise description of the Trinity in this section of Scripture. When someone is baptized, they are to be baptized into the triune God. This separates the God we serve from all other gods. And it's fitting that it takes place here at the end of his ministry on earth. He is explaining, he is laying it out clearly for them to know who they serve, who they are being baptized into. Christ's disciples will be true disciples if they understand who he is and obey him. I don't have time to unpack the richness of this next phrase of baptizo, but it is remarkable that this is also contained in the Great Commission. It's spelled out very clearly, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This idea is a powerful symbol of making an outward proclamation of an inward reality, a spiritual reality that has taken place. And it refers to immersion, not other uh, misunderstandings of this idea of baptism. It's interesting to talk about baptism in regards to missions because there are many missionaries who are tempted to weaken this idea of baptism. And I understand if you're living in a Muslim context, someone may have to give up their life if they have a public declaration of their allegiance to Christ. But the idea that Christ is communicating in the Great Commission is that you may have to give up your life to follow Christ. I mean, do you realize the authority is that powerful that he may ask you to do that? Don't live in fear. Be ready to be baptized. And I could tell you a remarkable experience I had in Kosovo where I saw former Muslims be baptized in mass in a public swimming pool at a hotel and there wasn't a shred of doubt in any of those people. They, it's, the, it's the weak missiologist who is afraid. It is the confident disciple of Christ who is standing with two feet on the ground after being baptized and saying, take my picture, sure, let them know. God might change them like he's changed me. The confidence that comes from understanding the Great Commission and trusting in the power of God. 
D.A. Carson has described baptism and teaching like this. Baptizing and teaching are not the means of making disciples, but they characterize it. And I think that's helpful. They are to be characteristic of the disciple. There's no saving work that comes from baptism, but it is to be a sign of an obedient disciple of Christ. And that's good to preach here this morning as well. If you're waiting on being baptized and you have come to Christ, wait no more. Tell the leadership of the church, I want to be baptized. I'm scared a little bit. It's a little awkward potentially, but if Christ was able to die on the cross for my sin, I am ready to be baptized. And tell everybody about it and let them know that God is at work in your life. Let's take a look at how teaching informs our understanding of a disciple. Jesus told his disciples to teach them to observe all I have commanded you. This is the third reference to all in the all-encompassing command of Christ. It's fascinating to take time to think about this part of the command. Jesus wants us to teach all that he commanded. So what, what does that mean? What did Christ command? We know that he had a very good grasp of the Old Testament. And he used that when he taught. He said, you have heard it said, and he was referring to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And then he said, but I say to you. And so he fulfilled the Old Testament and he, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, he added to God's word as revealed as we have in, in his word today. They, Jesus' commands were built upon the Old Testament And so naturally this refers to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's fascinating to think the command includes the need to observe all that Christ commanded. So it's helpful just to ask the question, you know, how long does it take to learn all that Christ commanded? I'm so glad to hear you have a training school here where the men in particular are being trained in Christ commands, and that takes a while. You can spend many years. Seminaries can take years and years to try to teach the full counsel of God. Then you have to ask the other question, how long does it take to learn to observe all of Christ's commands? It takes your entire life. You're not brought to completion until either Christ returns or he Uh, works and sanctifies in your life. And of course, it's not until you're in his presence that that fully happens. But this takes a whole lot of time to do. And you have to ask the question, where are these kinds of disciples made? This is why preaching this message in a local church is the best place to preach it, because the local church, by implication, is the only place these commands can be kept. Where are you baptized? You're baptized in the context of the local church family. They're vetting candidates to see if they're ready to be baptized or not. Who has been given the authority to hold believers accountable? 
You look at Matthew 18, the leadership of the local church are the only ones being given authority to actually separate people from the body of Christ. That's a powerful authority. And that, by implication, means the local church is the place where the Great Commission is to be accomplished. That is where you can be taught to observe all of Christ's commands. Pray for your leaders as they seek to do that here in your church family. The local church is the only institution that makes this kind of disciple because it is the only place you can be baptized and taught to observe all of Christ's commands. There are many parachurch organizations that seek to help, but none have the authority that the local church does. The local church needs to be actively involved in disciple-making Why? Because the church is where this type of disciple is made. And that should galvanize you to a level of excitement to think of how unique this body of believers is. This is where you can come to grow in godliness the way God intends. So the first principle to pursue Christ's great commission is to submit to his authority. The second principle is to seek to make disciples. and That is to be done in the context of the local church. And then the third principle is to be secure in Christ's presence. The last principle for pursuing the great commission is to rest in the unique power that comes from knowing God is with you. In verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the last time that all is used in this passage, in this all-encompassing command. And isn't it fitting that Christ ends this command in this way? He would only do this if he recognized how difficult it is to try to obey this command. If you try to do it on your own strength, you're going to fail. You need the reminder that Christ, in a unique way, promises to be with his disciples even until the end of the age. I'm glad Jesus ended this command with this type of encouragement because it's impossible to seek to pursue without his presence with us. John 16, he told his disciples, in this world you have tribulation. He described being a disciple as taking up the cross. We heard that earlier in Matthew You have to count the cost of being a disciple. This is hard. This is impossible to pursue by yourself. The idea of the lone Christian is an oxymoron. Not helpful. Sinful, actually. If you understand what it means to be a disciple and to join the body of Christ. If you seek to live life on your own, you are sinning against what the Bible tells you to do. Hebrews 10 25, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need to be encouraged by each other because the Christian life is difficult. 
1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 13, remind us of this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also to the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. James reminds us to consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. How is that possible? We're not talking about putting the smiley face sticker on your Bible and saying everything is fine. There's a temptation to do even that. No, we are to be reminded of where the joy comes from. We are to be reminded of where the power of the believer to stand strong is found. And it is found in Christ and in Christ alone. If you're a believer, you've experienced the difficulty of trying to live a life of holiness. It is a struggle. If you think it's easy, something's wrong. Go share the gospel and you'll be reminded that it is difficult. Really, that is true. There is to be a level of difficulty in the Christian life. And, and that turns you to God, that reminds you of your need to depend on Him. There is a battle going on. There is an evil force at work. We need to be aware. We should not be naive. We should not get too comfortable. And this is a struggle in our society in particular, because the world around us is trying to cater to every need. You didn't even know you needed that. And then they convince you of it. That is a part of the system of this world. The Christian needs to realize that. Wow, I am making comfort an idol in my own life. Help me, God. Help me not want that so much. Help me realize I do not need Amazon to deliver this tomorrow. (laughs) Have you noticed how your own need for convenience has adapted over the years since that company in particular came into business? It's just a natural part of the frog being warmed in the kettle. And the Christian, I don't blame you if you have been warmed to that aspect of society. It's very nice to have immediate day delivery. It's unbelievable. I surprise myself seeing that that is an option. But that can be a tool of the enemy to make you think that your life needs to have the same type of convenience that companies can offer. The Christian doesn't need it. The Christian thinks before ordering groceries to their home. You know why? Because the delivery man drops them at the door and you have no human interaction. You can't share the gospel with a bunch of bags at your door. No, the Great Commission makes you think. Is the money to spend on gas to drive to the supermarket to share the gospel with the bag boy worth it? I'm not saying you can't deliver groceries to your door. But the Christian pauses 
before doing so. Because he's thinking great commission thoughts. He's thinking after Christ. He's wondering, how can I place my soul in face-to-face interaction with another soul? Because that is how disciples are made. I know you can easily get caught up with the idea of how many people might hear this sermon around the world. Think of all the hits that could happen. Someone in Saudi Arabia is listening to this sermon. Remarkable. The Great Commission is written for soul-to-soul interaction. The Great Commission is written to the local church to go speak to non-believers who are in their presence. I know it's strange to say because technology can suck you in. Technology is the great hook that makes you think the Great Commission can be accomplished. And you can bring Christ back by taking the gospel to the nations and completing the work. Don't forget, he is going to complete this work. He is going, he could come back today and he would finish the Great Commission. Don't forget that. You can listen to sermons that emphasize the go of the Great Commission and you can think he's waiting on you to get up and go to Papua New Guinea. He's saying, come on, I really want to come back. And if you would just leave and go, then I could. That, that you, can, you can have that sense. If you listen to certain messages and appeals, you can think that Christ is waiting on your work to be done so that he can come back. It is not true. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. We believe and long for his return today. And so that means that you have to ask the question when you see technology improve on something in your life. You just have to ask, how would a great commission disciple of Christ consider this? They need to hear the gospel. They need to repent. They need to come to Christ, be baptized, be taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. And that has to happen in the context of the local church. And so the role you can play is vital. This is a unique organism of God to do his work. And we have to recognize that because in our context, it's very easy actually for parachurch organizations to gain more money to fundraise and to have, let's say, larger facilities, to have fancier websites, a fleet of vehicles. You can't get sucked into that. God has sought to bless and to work in the context of the local church. And you just have to keep reminding yourself of that. This is real. This is the real work of God right here. And that should excite us and should cause us to invest as much as we can in making disciples. And I know here you are seeking to do that. It's wonderful to know how... God is at work amongst you and blessing you. But I, you can tell, I never tire of this passage. I never tire of preaching this sermon because we need to be reminded of it all the time. The world around us 
would have us change our commission to something else, would have us change the, the means and the method. And we just have to remind ourselves of the truth. There's no better place for this to be done than in the context of the local church. If you remember in Acts 13, it was the local church that sent Paul and Barnabas out. And sometimes, I'll just mention this as well, it's easy to think that Paul and Barnabas did a better job, a more effective job of completing the Great Commission than the elders in Antioch. And it's helpful to ask the question, why do we think that way? They traveled more. That certainly seems exciting. But for the elders there in the church in Antioch, their context was to pursue the Great Commission there. And that was just as fulfilling to God as the work that Paul and Barnabas did. We don't have a book of Acts that describes what took place in that church. But if they understood and grasped what God was doing there, they would know it's just not appropriate to compare the work of the local church to the work of missions. These are, these are not to be compared. They are both having a context of making disciples and they are both to rely on God to seek to pursue that goal. And he is pleased in them faithfully pursuing this command in their context. The Great Commission text is so well known because it reduces Christ's plan of salvation down to the core principles and it puts it in one concise command. Make disciples. Each disciple of Christ is commanded to follow this and I hope that this message will help you as you seek to pursue that. You must submit to Christ's authority. You must make disciples of Christ and you must trust in Christ's power to be able to accomplish that. It's the only way we can do this. Let's pray together. Father God, we speak of weighty things this morning. We are weak in our own attempts to communicate your word. And yet you are gracious, God, to not let your word return void. I pray that you would spur in us a desire to be faithful to you. Encourage our hearts. Help us have confidence and courage to recognize your authority and to pursue it. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.